It's been a few months since Kate and I have hosted a new guest for our podcast, Conversations in Color. As the younger folks would say, it's been a minute. So I am grateful to my friend and colleague, Shonda Ja, who was willing to join us for this most recent venture for our podcast. During the summer series, we have focused here at United Christian Parish on the theme, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's a theme that is not only wholesome, but we also believe holy. And so I'm grateful, as I said, to Shonda for her willingness to join us for our podcast and to have a conversation with us about this very thing, about being a neighbor and about perhaps how the church can be a better neighbor. I have known Shonda for more than two decades. And honestly, I can say that the passion, sincerity, and intellectual tenacity that Shonda possesses, well, that which wowed me years ago, it is even more refined with Shonda today. So we welcome Shonda John to Conversations in Common. So welcome to Conversations in Color. This is our podcast that is shared with those with whom we are in community with here at United Christian Parish. I always uh, begin our podcast together by greeting our Director of Communications, uh, Kate. I am grateful to you, as always, uh, for your work that you do here, the important work here at United Christian Parish. Uh, this is just one among the many things that you do here uh, at United Christian Parish in uh, assisting me in producing this podcast. As I shared with uh, each and every opportunity, the mission of Conversations in Color is to advance the story of United Christian Parish through this social platform that uh, seeks to share my dialogue with people whom I cherish and who I certainly believe are well-respected leaders offering their perspectives on impact of their work as a solution to the important issues in our communities, in our world. And today it is my pleasure to welcome to Conversations in Color, someone who I hold in the most highest of regards, uh, Shonda Ja. She is a, an author, She's a founder and former executive director of the Oakland Peace Center. Shonda is an ordained pastor who holds a master's in public policy. She is also a co-organizer trainer for reconciliation and anti-racism for the Christian Church Disciples of Christ Reconciliation Ministry. She is also someone that I'm looking forward to her sharing a bit more about um, Without Fear Consulting. And so uh, without further ado, I want to say welcome, Shonda, to our podcast today. I am so grateful to be here. We have like 20 years of history together uh, of doing the work of racial justice in the church. And I have learned so So how much old are you, Shonda? Like 26? 25. Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have learned so much from you over the years. I'm really grateful to get to talk with you. Thanks, Shonda. And um, you're doing this today. We've been with you for a few minutes signing on. I'm not going to be surprised if uh, once we 
say goodbye. When you stand up, we're going to see the handle of the suitcase, probably as you're getting ready to jet off to somewhere else to, to lead another workshop or something because you're tremendous. Fortunately, all my meetings are online today. So I'm in my PJs with a sweater thrown over top so no one can tell. Ah, well. <laughs> And that looks like, like something delicious that you have there too. There I have some herbal tea that's what taking type, good care of me. What type? Because I know that you you have. Oh yeah, this is from Inspire. It's called Silver and Spice. Silver and Spice. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fancy? I like that. I like yeah. that. And some point soon, I hope that uh, we can sit together and here. You know. Um, sometimes we also, well, I, know, I don't know about you, Shonda, but sometimes I also have something else in my cup, but we won't. <laughs> I've been with you when that's been true. Do you mean uh, coffee, Marcus? Yeah, coffee. I thought so. Oh, I thought thank, so. Thank you, coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's our intent, um, Shonda, the, the first question um, though I think I've already broken all the rules about that, but usually the first question with our podcast is I invite our guests to, to this question, would you rather? Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is a segment that I remember with uh, my kids when they were much younger, we would play this game where I would share with them two scenarios and uh, they would have to make a decision between one of those two scenarios that were provided. Sometimes neither of the two scenarios provided seemed any good or fun. Sometimes both of the scenarios provided seemed especially good. But the task with them was always the same. And so it's going to be with you as well. You you can only choose one of the two possible scenarios. So that's why we call this, would you rather? (laughs) Are you ready to play? I am ready. All right. So, Shonda, which of these two scenarios would you rather? You are stuck in traffic somewhere there in Oakland. Um, I don't know the, the, the highways that are, that are there, but you're uh, stuck there. I'm definitely for, stuck on the 880. On the 880 yeah. for, for seven minutes as you share an Uber. With whom would you rather share the ride? The Reverend Shunji Nishi, PhD, or Ali Wong, comedian. Your answer and the follow-up question to your answer is tell us why. <laughs> that is a deep track, Shunji Nishi. Wow. <laughs> you know what's hilarious? Because like both of you them would be us, amazing. You have, you, have to, you have to tell us who we, who, who yeah, is, yeah, yeah. someone may know yeah. who we, so Shinji Nishi, who is uh, a theologian, studied under Tillich, um, was really active in the free speech movement in Berkeley, uh, mm-hmm. Was played a really important role in um, fostering dialogue among the kind of emerging, you know, Asian rights and Black rights and Latinx and Indigenous rights movements in the seminary context. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that that's so great uh somebody i would want to be like right Uh except i'm not as brave as all that because there was a lot of yeah there was a lot of flack to take for the kind of work he was doing he was he was an innovator he was a changer a game changer um i i i i knew that somehow you were gonna have that connection uh 
But is that who you would share the ride with? I don't know, man, because seven minutes is not enough. Well, well, who's Ali Wong? I mean, you got to. Ali Wong is a comedian who will make you laugh till you cry. Um, And and she is she's amazing. She actually helped write the screenplay for like the first romantic comedy featuring two Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, She Mm -hmm. is and she is unapologetic about who she is. Like the first big comedy hit she had was, um, she was like eight months pregnant while she's on stage. Like you can watch it on Netflix. Yes. Uh, it's not everybody's taste. She gets a little bit graphic about the sex. She uses some curse words. Um, and that's the what other thing. What church people do, don't do that, right? They just don't want to admit it though. <laughs> <laughs> so what I love about her is, she she destroys all of the stereotypes about Asian yes. women, right? Yes. Um, yes. And so, like, I don't know. You said like it was going to be an impossible choice, so that's <laughs> fair. But I think the only reason I'm going to go with Ali Wong is seven minutes with Shunji Nishi. I'd be like, this was not enough. It is not fair. Whereas yeah. comedians have a short shelf life. Like you get about 15 minutes out of them and you're like, oh, that was more than enough. Are you going home now? <laughs> so so my, I'm going with Ali Wong because seven minutes would be just enough where I'm like, I got a good story to tell some people. I yeah. laughed real hard. And yeah. then she went home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and the thing that, that I re- recall about Ali Wong, one of the things she said was, if a comedian cannot speak with uh, emotion, then she she doesn't have that. Uh, 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 she doesn't see that as someone that she wants to be in the presence of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She is grounded and, in the fullness of who she is and thinks yeah. comedy needs to be. Yeah, and I thought about you. I love that. I've, I've not ever been in um, a meeting uh, or a, a workshop where we talk about the, the issues around all of these things, human sexuality, uh, um, uh, human rights issues, um, issues around race, equity, and inclusion, where the passion in Shonda Ja is not there. Oh, thank you, friend. I yeah. really appreciate that. So, also, uh, just as an aside, did you yeah. see? Did you see the uh, article where there was an announcement in one of the newspapers that Ali Wong and her husband were? breaking up which was devastating the last comedy show was about how great her husband was Um, but they used a picture of her with a different asian man with her co-star from the movie she was in was that the reason for the divorce was that the reason for the divorce no my point is (laughs) i mean mean, they, they say how great tammy's husband is and then they have you know, um, Denzel. know, Morgan Denzel Washington, Morgan. yeah, or Morgan, you know, I, I mean, I might be insulted too. But it happened after. So they're announcing the divorce and they show a picture of her with someone that they label as her husband, who was actually her co-star because all uh, Asians look the same. Ah, uh, yeah. It was wild. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I get um, mis, mis, uh, mm-hmm. mistaken for Denzel Washington. Uh, All the time. Well, I mean, it's confusing. Anytime we go into a training, people are like, 
how come Denzel's leading this training? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. I do have to say, in in our denomination, I have been mistaken for Jessica Vasquez, who is about the same size as me, is about the same skin tone as me, is Puerto Rican where I'm Indian. Um, right. But like they, and I know that the mistakes happen because they say, oh, we remember your bright pink hair. And I'm like, Jessica had bright pink hair. I never did. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's it's, happened, but- it's the, it's the eyeglasses, the eyeglasses. But they've also mistaken me for April Luton, who is a very petite Filipina. Uh-huh. We look- Nothing alike. Nothing alike. Nothing alike. Now, yeah. I will say April gets very offended by this. And I understand, like, I'm offended on principle, but she shouldn't be so angry that people think we're the same person. I'm not that bad. I <laughs> know you. Yeah. But she no. gets very angry. She's like, I am not Shonda. And it's not just about the racial stereotype. Let me make this perfectly clear. <laughs> You know, but uh, there, you know, there, there are some, some mistakes that happen and, and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and I have to be honest, I've made mistakes before where I've looked at a particular person, you know, and I've thought, weren't you, yeah, you know, um, but I do think there, there, there should be some intentionality as well yeah. in terms of seeing, seeing people, you know, yeah. seeing, seeing people. Yeah, and, we and make mistakes. That it difference. is scientifically documented that we unintentionally categorize people who are different than us in different parts of our brain. That's, we have to work to overcome that, um, but we have the, we get to choose to work to overcome it. Amen, amen. Yeah, if, we're, if you're posting for a media story though, you should get the husband, right? Thank you, <laughs> yes, it is. You have one Thanks, job Jake. as a photojournalist, exactly. thank you. Exactly. <laughs> and, and this is coming from certainly someone who knows, who knows. And uh, and that's part of why I appreciate Kate so much and what she yep. does and, and what she knows, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, so Kate, who would you choose? <laughs> I love this. I don't know. I don't tell- know. That's not fair because I'm not familiar with either of them. I think. Let's be honest. So. That's often the case in, a, in an Uber. So that yeah. doesn't mean you can't make the choice. You rarely know your conversation partner in an Uber. Nope. I do want it noted for the record that Kate totally copped out on that question. Did she? Let's put a note there. With, I got to pass. An asterisk there. <laughs> Uh, though I do think Kate would have a great conversation with either one. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to eavesdrop with the conversation between uh, Kate and, and Ali Wong. I, I would love to eavesdrop on that conversation. But the, the podcast, uh, Shonda, is called Conversations in Color. Yeah. And it is because of the metaphor that describes in-depth conversations that have a lasting impact with us. Um, ways of uh, having a definite uh, way of, of, of an effect upon our, our lives. Do you remember your first conversation in color? And if so, do you remember who it was with? Yeah, I, so the first conversation like that that is seared into my brain interestingly enough was with a 
a colleague of my father's who was an argumentarian, right? He just loved yeah. to argue for the sake of arguing. And I was in junior high and I was the perfect kind of, you know, everyone else had given up on him by that point in time. They would just let him make his ridiculous arguments. And then they would let him keep talking until he was arguing the other side because no one would engage him. So he ended up debating himself. Uh, and my mother was like, that was much funnier. Once you came along and decided to start engaging him, he was actually trying to have real conversations and that was much less fun. Um, so I remember- It had to be interesting of, watching therapy in process. Know, right, right, totally. And I remember one of those times and um, I was in junior high and deeply religious and- um, Deeply committed, if you'll forgive me, y'all can edit this out if it's helpful, um, but deeply committed to a pro-life position. It seemed so clear and so um, uncomplicated to me at that stage in my life. Yeah. Um, and I don't, to this day, I have no idea whether Professor Ellis was pro-life or pro-choice, um, but he decided to have a conversation where he's like, so here's the actual impact of that position. Here's what actually happens to people when that's the law of the land. Are you not concerned about X, Y, and Z? Are you not concerned about the fact that it's going to happen anyhow and more and more lives will be lost? And I'm not saying that shifted my position in one fell swoop, but and it's not even the conversation about pro-life versus pro-choice that's important about it to me. It was the first conversation I remember somebody saying, let's complicate that. All you've got so far is the media narrative about one clear side versus one other clear side. And the world is not just about bright lines. The world is about a lot of messiness and complexity. And so, again, I'm not necessarily talking about the issue so much as somebody modeling that worldview for me actually made me a much, a much more deeply faithful person. Mm -hmm. I, I think from uh, Shonda, when I was um, in seminary, um, which was uh, ages ago now, and the conversations around, um, you know, pro pro choice and mm -hmm. and and these kinds of things, and uh, the gift of being in in diversity, being in the midst of diversity, uh -huh. um, was we had a rabbi who was with us as we were engaging in, at one time in this conversation. And the rabbi said, as Protestants and uh, those who are, you know, uh, in the, the Christian sphere of this argument, the rabbi said, we're on in another sphere. And what we're trying to help families with our congregations is the creation that happens in terms of when couples have challenges of being able to conceive. And, and what the Torah says yeah. in terms of the creation you know, of, of, of life from the beginning. And so where, where do we begin with that conversation? And so that kind of, uh, so to speak, not having that, that, that uh, 
compartmentalized um, place to simply say, here is the, the perception that I have is clear, uh, is, cl you know, as they're saying, cut and dry kind of thing. Um, God has so many places yeah. that God's voice needs to be heard and where people need to be healed yep. and set free. And I would love it if the church could find a way to make room for, 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 for people uh -huh. instead of making excuses that just simply push them further away. Yeah. yeah. Amen. You, you, you talked about something, uh, in one of your books, Shonda, uh, Pre-Post-Racial America, right? And I wanted to read this just a bit, and then I wanted to maybe just have your, your thoughts about, because one of the things that, uh, that uh, um, Reverend uh, Nishi did for the world, right? Some people, may be familiar with the, the late author, Ronald Takaki. It was Reverend Nishi that encouraged this great author, Ronald Takaki, who would go on to write about the experiences of Asian peoples in um, this, this country, the United States. And one of the books we use often when we do our workshops around reconciliation is one of his books, Strangers from a Different Shore. Takaki writes about the experiences of those, uh, in, particularly in, in, in Hawaii, and the plantations that the people, the, particularly the Asian population, working on those sugarcane plantations. And, then, and that had a great influences, influence upon his life and the way that he was able to communicate life and these values that he learned. But it was Reverend Nishi that inspired him to not give up the skateboarding, or I'm sorry, the surfing, but to just put the surfboard aside a few hours and to go to college. Yeah. And so that was another reason why I, uh. I mentioned that. Uh, I don't yeah. think I knew that particular connection. And Ron Takaki is one of my heroes. He's the he's part Mine of the too. reason I wrote um, Room at the Table. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I may not get back around to it, but I love the introduction that you wrote to this book. She's one of my my favorite. Sharonda Adichie, you know, the 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 danger of a single story. Yep which is how I, I really want to try and live my life in terms of being aware that everyone has a story, to see those stories, to, mm -hmm. to take the time to listen to those stories. But I want to get to this. You were writing about the, the story that's told in, in the Gospel of John, chapter five. It's the story of the invalid or the paraplegic who was lying uh, by the pool and basically wanting to be into the pool and the fact that sometimes we we offer our excuses before we recognize that we're at the healing stage and though sometimes maybe we're in between the the healing stage which means we're still very cognizant of our wounds but 
Uh, I wanted you to just say a little bit about that because again, talking about community and that's our summer series theme in terms of being the neighbors to each other. In your book on page 106, you write this. You said that about the person, Jesus. Uh, he, he leads with his wounds, the person does. And with the many ways he has been stopped from getting to those healing waters. That's what we do when we're still in the healing stage and don't even know it. We lead with our wounds. I have previously used this passage to talk about congregational transformation. I've talked about how Jesus doesn't care much about our excuses. He just wants to know if we seriously really want to be healed. But in listening, I find myself thinking about the ways communities of color stay wounded, maybe not even realizing we're still in the healing stage and don't even know it. And Jesus knows what that's like. He's from a community on the margins, not treated well at all by the empire that's suppressing them, and a community also that picks at itself from the inside so that the poorest of the poor suffer even more. We often blame communities of color for that. A recent internet meme said, we talk about people of color acting like crabs in a barrel, pulling each other down so the other crabs won't escape without discussion of the fact that a barrel is not the natural environment for a crab. What happens between people of color does not happen in a vacuum. It happens in the thick smog of white supremacy that we all breathe every day, usually without realizing that it is in our lungs, all of us. It's powerful words that you wrote, Shonda. What does that mean for churches that are wanting to build communities to reach out to neighbors? Uh -huh. Not just the ones that look like them, but all all neighbors. Yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of the churches I work with are really interested and for all of the right reasons are really interested in diversity. <laughs> and I mean, I think something I learned with you and from you over the years was actually creating a culture as a community might be a necessary precursor because inviting people into a place that is going to eventually do them harm mm -hmm. is uh, is not something we're conscious we're always doing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's really interesting because as you were reading that, I was thinking, oh, the work I've done with the disability justice community over the last, I'd say 10 years, uh, five years uh, more intentionally, has me reading the whole Bible differently because there are so many ways in which we're trained to read the Bible in very ableist ways. Mm -hmm. uh, ableist just meaning not recognizing the ways we benefit from a culture that um, serves those of us who are non-disabled at the expense of people with disabilities. Yes. Um, and so even as I revisited that passage as you were sharing that story, I found myself thinking, what if that guy was trying to say to Jesus, I need you to hear how messed up this system is. No matter what I do, 
I can't get into the water first because the people with resources get their people into the water first. I've been trying for years. I've been doing everything I am physically capable of doing and nothing has made a difference. And there's, I hope this doesn't sound heretical, but there's a tiny part of me as I'm thinking about this from a disability justice perspective, I'm thinking, what if what he was actually looking for from Jesus was an acknowledgement that this system is messed up. This system where rich people can get access to healthcare and poor people can't, where people who are non-disabled are able to navigate systems in ways that people with disabilities cannot. What if what he was actually looking for from Jesus was, dude, you're right, this system is a mess. We gotta change this system. That was not what you were getting at, but I think, I mean. No, no, no. I, I mean, the scripture explicitly says he had been in that place for 38 years. 38 years. It's not like he hadn't been trying. Yeah. Yeah. And so I find myself thinking, you know, to your question, I wonder whether some of our work as we long to connect with our neighbors is to say, what does our community need to be in order to be responding to the experiences of our neighbors before we even invite them in the door? And I don't mean to make that sequential. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. it can all happen mm -hmm. simultaneously. Yeah. And yeah. I also think it's really important to be listening to the voices of people who are historically unserved, mm -hmm. um, to be listening to those voices to shape what the community looks like. And that means needing folks to be in the room, but to also create a culture that recognizes in the places where someone else has lived experience, they need to be helping shape what the space looks like, how we gather, what kinds of meetings we have, how, how our board meetings are run. And that's about race and generation and culture and language, um, physical accessibility. Uh, there's a lot of folks out here who are trying to figure out how to create spaces that are more welcoming to people who are, the term is neurodivergent, um, who don't, um, whose brains don't work in uh, the ways that our dominant culture says is the only uh, mm -hmm. kind of thinking they want in the room. Yes, um, yes, yeah. All of that gets to be some of our work, I think. The, 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 the work is endless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I think about what would it have meant if I had walked past the person that has been sitting on that bench or living in that tent or whatever that circumstance might have been. Yeah. And I've been walking past that person, that community for 38 years. And I'm saying, I wanna invite you to United Christian Parish. Mm -hmm. And I've been walking past them. Yeah. 38 years mm -hmm. and never seeing who they are, what they're experiencing, mm -hmm. how they might be suffering, yeah. what needs and resources that they have maybe perhaps have been asking for for 38 years. Yeah. What kind of neighbor have I been? Mm. Yeah. Donna, one of our men, my mentors and a dear friend who's possibly one of yours, uh, Dr. Jan Lin, uh, has said that feelings are like the ocean's waters 
and emotions are the ways rising above the surface of those waters. Can you describe the feelings that inspired you to create both the Oakland Peace Center and Without Fear Consulting? Huh. So the Oakland Peace Center was, I was pastoring First Christian Church of Oakland and we had had some conversation about what that congregation wanted to contribute to the community. And they said what they got out of being at that church was an experience of peace. Um, and that in Oakland, they wanted to contribute to peace in the midst of violence. And so we started volunteering as a congregation with the organizations that were doing work to disrupt violence in our community. And in the course of that work with these different nonprofit leaders, some of whom were one person shops, some of whom had like five folks, um, I, div I got this sense of longing. Um, my own longing to be more connected and more supported um, in trying to do this work. And my sense that that longing wasn't just mine, that the folks who were on the front lines of the work to dismantle violence in Oakland also were feeling isolated and alone and overwhelmed by the task. Um, and so longing's maybe a strange feeling to name, but I think um, that in many ways was what drove the creation of the Oakland Peace Center, which is a collective of nonprofits sharing space and sharing connection to help each other get better um, and help each other survive what's hard about that front lines work. I think with, without fear consulting, it was a different feeling. Um, so couple of weeks after George Floyd was murdered, a friend of mine who is a union organizer and just a powerhouse of a human being and also a New Yorker. So she cuts to the chase. Uh, yeah. She says things like they are, right? And she said to me, Shonda, you've been messing around with the Oakland Peace Center for 10 years and I just don't see what it's doing, uh, <laughs> which is unfair. It did a lot of things. It just didn't get legislation passed and therefore she saw it as useless. Oh. Um, because she's a union organizer, right? Um, but love to meet said, her. I know you would love her. Um, but what she said was, we actually need you to do what you're good at right now. They're black anti-racism and DEI consultants are stretched beyond their capacity. And I cannot right now recommend white DEI consultants. You need to uh, show up. Shana, tell oh, us diversity, DEI. Sorry, diversity, yeah. equity, and inclusion. Thank yeah. you very much. Um, she said. I need you to alleviate the burden from your black friends and to step in where your white friends can't. I need you to do what you're actually good at, which is anti-racism work. Um, and I brushed her off because I was like, the, the Oakland Peace Center can't do without me. And then yeah. I sat with it and realized, no, they actually can. And we built out a system over the next few months. And but wasn't, that, wasn't that beautiful to know, though, that yep. you had been a part of something yes. that, that has that life yes. and that it has that sustainability? Yeah, they're doing great without me. In fact, there are things that have happened because I left, yeah. which was maybe the best feeling I could possibly imagine, um, that actually my leaving positioned them to do things that unconsciously I might have been getting in the way of. Um, not that that's, I was that's, doing a bad that's, job, that's but that was exciting. That's, that's another conversation on leadership. Yeah. Right there, Shonda. 
to know and to have that and to know what that means. And and to some people, some people can never get to that kind of a maturity. Right. Right. Oh, nonprofit founders have the nonprofit founder syndrome is a thing that uh, people in the development world talk about, which is founders hanging on way longer than they should. And you know, misdirecting the organization because they just can't let go. I wanted to make sure I didn't do that. So it felt really good. And spending all of my time doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work with nonprofits, with religious organizations, sometimes even with corporations, with higher education institutions, it is so life-giving because all those decades of community organizing turn out to make me a very different DEI consultant And all of those years of pastoring turn out to make me a very different kind of DEI consultant so that people feel held and people get equipped and empowered to carry the work on themselves without me. And I got to say, I feel really proud of what I'm contributing in that space. Um, It's daunting work, but it feels really good. It really does. As you should. As you should. And I saw this progression mm-hmm. you know uh not not if you trained me how to do some of this work um i was in the room shonda <laughs> so how can we support without fear consulting how can listeners to the podcast if they want to find out more uh they Very can certainly fun. go online but yep. also from you uh what are some of the ways that we can support without fear consulting I'd honestly be thrilled if people signed up for my newsletter. So if you went to withoutfearconsulting.com, there's a link to sign up for the newsletter. It's a weekly newsletter called Joy in Justice um, that's about how we can incorporate some of these values into our workplaces uh, and how that doesn't have to be just out of a sense of obligation and drudgery and it's the right thing, but actually it can be very life-giving to do this work in the workplace. I would love uh, to have people connect with me there. Well, Kate has already gotten us uh, as signed up. And you know, as, I, as, I, as I said, you know, she just keeps all of us, you know, on the right track here. Well, so I'll, I'll definitely promote that when I promote this podcast, when I get it up and then show notes and oh, stuff that's like awesome. that. And thank you. And thank you for your energy and inspiring me in the past hour or so. With oh, your, thank you. I know you said it was daunting, but you're still so passionate and energetic. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. We, we, now we just got to have you here at UCP so you, we can be in the same room, not just sharing boxes on the screen. I so, would love that. We, we've got to do that. And uh, and your smile just, just lights up, you know, everything. So uh, just beautiful person inside and out. Thanks, Shonda. It's a gift to be with you. Thanks so much. As a final thought for our podcast with Shonda, I'm reminded of the epistle of First John chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. This epistle, in actuality, is more of a sermon written for a community that had defined itself over and against the world around it. The scripture of 1 John 
chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, the New Revised Standard Version. It reads as follows. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in deed and truth. The sermon is offered as an opportunity to clarify the meaning of the Gospel of John that had been written for a community, which reads that the Gospel as its central guide to its faith and action. Jesus not only reveals himself, but Jesus also commands that those who believe in him love one another. Here, this sermon in 1 John chapter 3, we have a glimpse of the depth of the gift and the gravity of Jesus' demand. Christ gives unconditional love for us, even to the point of death. And Jesus demands our unconditional love for each other. It's all in tandem in regards to Jesus being revealed to the community, the community that he loves, but also in the revealing is also the revolution. The revolution to love one's neighbor as Jesus has loved the community that he has embraced that he has redeemed. Concretely, such love means charity. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and refuses to help? And concretely, such love means living out what we say. The truisms abide because there is truth in them. In other words, my brothers and my sisters, we must practice what we preach. We must walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Someone said it as sermons in shoes. Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. I hope you'll join us again when we share our podcast, Conversations in Common. God bless all of you. And if it looks like we were scared to death, like a couple of kids just trying to save each other, you should have seen it in the Yeah, bitches worth a thousand words, but you can't see what those shades of gray can cover. Should have seen it in color. If you want to hear more of this podcast, the full conversation is available on our YouTube channel, which is linked 
in the show notes.